Welcome everyone, this is Sasha at Moving Mountain. Today's guest is Christine Handy, a woman who defines strength and grace through the many roles she inhabits. She's a best-selling author, motivational speaker, breast cancer survivor, self-esteem expert, and model. Her national and international modeling career started at the age of 11. As her professional engagements evolved, Christine also became a Fox Radio breast cancer expert. TV and radio guests educating audiences on breast cancer and women's issues. Her book, Walk Beside Me, is in its second publishing, granting her an opportunity to travel and speak before audiences through igniting hope and motivation. As a board member, Christine shares her business acumen and life experiences through partnering with e-beauty and people of purpose. Welcome, Christine, to Moving Mountains. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. You and I had the pleasure of crossing paths a few years ago, and then your book, Walk Beside Me, had come out, and it followed the character Willow. Willow happens to be your name. So today we're going to take some time to learn how Willow has evolved from the time the book came out. And if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your transition from the modeling world, which you're still working in, and your journey Mm -hmm. with cancer. Yes, so... There's a lot of questions in that, and I'll try to take one each, each one. Um, I started modeling when I was 11, and it was kind of a fight to get to be able to work a lot because my parents had other children at home and other responsibilities, and it was a big job, right, to get me to and from modeling jobs and out, out of school. Um, but it was that kind of burning desire I had back then to really um, set that career path on Par And so I did. I, I really I was determined to do it even at a young age. And, and so I worked for a very long time. I ended up modeling in Europe and Barcelona. I worked for Elite Worldwide. I was one of the guest models after Claudia Schiffer. And um, I had a great career. I was what you would call um, a working model, which basically just means that I worked, um, I did a lot of catalog work. I was not a runway model. I was in a lot of magazines and catalogs and billboards and newspaper back then. Um, Anyway, yes, I still do it now, but when I was 41, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and it was a complete, um, uh, it was a shock. I had no family history. I was obviously very young for that disease. I had... uh, I'm a self-proclaimed athlete. I'm allergic to sugar. I eat very healthy. I just had no reason to believe that I would ever get cancer, much less breast cancer. And so it really was a shocking for me, my family, and my friends. And when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I had obviously lived a long life of a career model. And so my value in my, my mind was about what I looked like. My value was in the external. And I was very emotionally dependent on those things. I was very emotionally dependent on what I look like and my hair. And um, I also lived in a very, ex- uh, more of an exchange world, I would say. Um, you do this for me and I'll do this for you kind of mentality. 
it wasn't just in the modeling world. It was kind of perpetuated throughout my life, but I felt like my value for other people was dependent on what I did for them. And so I'll give you an example. In the modeling world, you know, I would say to my uh, booker or my modeling agent or a photographer, hey, you know, if you think I do, do a good job, you know, Monty, you tell this other client about me or, you know, the, the, the cameraman or the agency might say to me, you know, if you do a good job, then we might put you up for this job, this other uh, modeling job. And so it became a very exchange oriented life. And when I was diagnosed with cancer, you know, all that kind of got cut out of my life. And figuratively and literally, I started to have scars. And, you know, in the modeling world back then, those were kind of forbidden. And so I started to lose all of my self-worth and my self-value because I didn't know who I was. I had been so dependent on external sources that I didn't know who Christine Handy was inside. And so once I was diagnosed with cancer and had to face 28 rounds of chemotherapy, and I didn't know at the time, but I've had, I think, 11 surgeries due to breast cancer. And when I was facing just, you know, knowing I was having chemotherapy and mastectomies, I thought, well, my life is over. My value, there's no value for me anymore because I was just so wrapped up into that world of external source and external validity, and and I didn't know how to live any other way. And so I ultimately got through chemotherapy, um, difficult, it was very difficult, I was very sick, I was 90 pounds, I had no hair, and uh, there are many days where I wasn't sure I was going to wake up the next morning, so that, that changes you. But during that time, I had a lot of time alone, and I had a lot of time with some really incredible women who taught me how to nurture my self-esteem and, and, and also uh, helped me nurture that self-esteem and, and the knowledge that knowing that I, my value wasn't dependent on anything external. It was dependent on who I was inside. And so when I was finished with chemotherapy, I had taken meticulous notes about, you know, my journey and the transformation that I had gone through. And I decided that I was going to write a book. And I went from being a very selfish to very selfless. I I wrote a book. It became a national bestseller, and it's actually being made into a film now. Um, but I think it was, I think the powerful message, I think there was a lot of powerful messages in the book, but part of this, my story, which has appealed to so many people, is my vulnerability. You know, I've really been able to show the, the good, the bad, and the dark, and the ugly about my life's journey, and the mistakes, and the shame, and the, um, the judgment, and the dependence on, you know, bags, and being in the right, you know, house on the right street and driving the right car and, and those types of things that really meant something to me and how really that knowledge of understanding that that meant nothing <laughs> came crashing down on me and how I got through that. And so that kind of took me up to about a year ago. And I did a lot of, obviously, um, I'm a public speaker, and so I've been doing a lot of speaking in prisons and women's organizations all around the country. And then, interestingly enough, during COVID, I got an infection in one of my uh, implants in my breast cavity. And I was hospitalized four times and had two emergency surgeries where they excavated completely my breast. And 
that was a really traumatic time. And I, I, I had already had two mastectomies. And, and when I was in the hospital this past summer for the staph infection, they had the, in the hospital, they had me sign these papers and it said mastectomy. And I looked at the nurse and I said, I already had a mastectomy. You're just taking out my implants. And they said, well, you know, it's more than just taking out implants. And that's what insurance calls us to label it as. And I thought to myself, wow, like how in the world am I having like my third mastectomy? How does that even, how is that possible? And then two months later, I had the other breast excavated and uh, I had technically four mastectomies. So when you go through that trauma and for, for a long time, you, you figure out what really matters in life. And, and I try to teach people and I try to talk about how tomorrow isn't promised to anybody. And I I don't just say that to say it, it's, it's true. And if we live our lives in a manner where today counts for other people, then we're living our best lives. And my life, I don't, I don't live my life for me. I live my life to serve. I live my life to inspire because I've taken all of the pain and all of the trauma and said, this can't be wasted. The story's not going to be wasted because we can all use our stories to help other people. We can all use our our guides, so to speak, that we, we ultimately end up with um, to be vulnerable and share. And hopefully it touches somebody's life and maybe, maybe make somebody make a different decision, right? And so I think that kind of catches you up to today, but it's been for everybody, right? Quite a, quite a year. That is quite a journey. Well, first thing about the book's title, Walk Beside Me, I found it to be very selfless because given your initial profession of modeling, you are in the limelight and you get to hoard the limelight. So the fact that you're welcoming people to walk beside you comes in a point in life where you see the value of acceptance. And also, I know in our initial conversation, we touched upon the idea of control, how your relationship with control had evolved. Now, you touch upon vulnerability. What was your relationship with vulnerability when things were going well in your life? Were you somebody who had your guards up? Because when we go through trying challenges involuntarily, the vulnerability swims to the top and then you have to accept the help just in the name of survival. So are you easily more vulnerable today than you were earlier on? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I I feel like in my life, especially as a model, anytime I put my toe in the sand to be more vulnerable and spoke up about certain things in the industry or just in my personal life, I feel like I was pushed back with a lot of resistance. And so I think I learned to just be quiet. And I think when you are forced to really take a look at your life because you may lose it, um, when, I was, when I was in that position, I thought to myself, nobody's going to tell me what I can and cannot say, and nobody's going to tell me what I can and cannot do anymore. And I made a real shift in my life to not be kind of bullied in that regard. And, you know, I think as women, at least for me, I'm 50 years old, as a woman, a young woman, I feel like, it, and not just in my home, but in society, I was taught to stay in line and to stay in my, in my lane and whatever that lane was for that, whichever that person was, right? I don't stay in a lane anymore. I, I, my value isn't dependent on other people's value of me. My value is dependent on what I think of me. And I've never, ever had so many scars in my entire life. And I've also never felt so beautiful. And I'm not talking about external beauty. Um, but the vulnerability 
I think sometimes it's forced away from us and shoved away from us. And I think it takes a real courageous person, in particular a woman, to step up and say, no, it's okay to be vulnerable and I'm going to make that step. The other thing that happened to me as far as vulnerability was because I was so guarded for most of my life, when I was, uh, when I was first diagnosed with cancer, I was afraid to ask for help because I thought it was shameful. And so when I was faced with knowing I had 28 rounds of chemo, I basically quit and said, I'm not going to fight for my life because I can't do this alone. And I was just too ashamed to ask for help. And it wasn't until people started to really show up for me, which I think is so powerful. Um, And it's not to say that other people have a responsibility in nurturing our self-esteem or our self-worth. But what happens is, is when people start to show up for you, ultimately your self-esteem starts to take on like a snowball effect, right? And, and if we can see that and we can notice what's happening, then we can say to ourselves, okay, this feels good. Why does this feel good? Well, we feel good about ourselves. Why do we feel good about ourselves? Because people are standing up for us. Well, now I have a responsibility to do that for myself. And ultimately, all those people leave, right? I get through chemo. Everybody goes home at night. I wake up the next morning. I have cancer. They don't. And it's the, the, that knowledge, really, that, you know, of course, I had people there helping me and I had a, a good support system, but I had to help me. And so that vulnerability, I think, in my life comes with courage, and it also comes with knowing that I had to ultimately make the decisions to stand up for myself. And what, what did that look like? And so by, by talking about it, it teaches other people to do that for themselves. And, and for that, I, I'm very grateful that I went through that. And it was such a huge shift for me because for so long I was not vulnerable and I was very closed and, and didn't want to expose my life. And, and, and not just the good parts, but also, you know, the bad parts. And, yeah, it was, it was quite a shift, but a meaningful one, I should say. Your book also touches upon the theme of faith and very brief fleeting moment as you were going through your healing, your recovery, you had contemplated suicide. What was the turning point that talked you out of it? Well, the reason I talk about the suicide is because I really, really meant it. I was, I was in such a state of despair and my mind was in the wrong spot. I really, like I said, I was so dependent on other people's acceptance of me and I felt like my only value in life was what I looked like. And when that was about to be taken away, I thought, I have no value, and so I'm not going to fight for my life. I'm just going to quit because there's – who is Christine Handy? I'm, I'm not – I'm the shallow person that needs other people's approval, and I, I can't go through this right. I just can't. And so my friends would show up at my door and say, not only are we never going to forsake you, God will never forsake you, and you, you have your faith, and we are going to walk you through this journey which is really why I wrote the title of the book. It's called Walk Beside Me because these women really did walk beside me. And it was about three weeks. uh, I was diagnosed with cancer on October 1st. And it was about three weeks later that I really started to fight for my life. And the shift was, was that these women kept showing up and they made a calendar um, of people that were going to show up for the next 18 months of my life. And I started to trust them and I started to believe them. And so it was kind of the multiplier effect, right? If they'd shown up one day and said, you know, we will never forsake you and then didn't show up for a week, then maybe I wouldn't be here talking to you, right? Because I wouldn't have believed that my, I had value. 
Um, and so they started to show up for me. And then my self-esteem got better. And then I started to feel some more self-worth. And then I, then I realized I needed to work on it. And so it's kind of a multiplier effect. And again, I think it's such an important story because I've been, you know, in my life had such dark moments where, you know, my value has really been disintegrated. And I think it's important to talk about that because so many women do. But if we don't talk about it, then, then maybe they don't know that they're not alone. Maybe they don't know that, you know, you have to really work on it yourself. And it's a daily, a daily process. And so I think it's a really important, although very vulnerable, right, to say that. Like I thought about really plotted my suicide. It's important because people need to hear that because they don't want to feel so alone in their despair. You touch upon the transactional world and trust, and I know you are a very proud mom. What have your sons taught you about yourself? Well, you're never as happy as your, you're only as happy as your own the happiest child, right? <laughs> um, uh, it's true. And so they, you know, they keep me grounded for sure because they have their struggles. And so I feel like, um, you know, I, the other thing about trauma is, at least in my life, each time I've had a face, you know, life and, life and death and, and trauma, I think about my kids and I think about, how do I want to model this for them? How do I want to walk through this for them? And obviously, you know, when I first got diagnosed with cancer and I plotted my suicide, that wasn't modeling very well, right? But once I started to fight for my life, I decided that, you know, not only were my kids watching, but other people were watching. And it was my responsibility, you know, to have courage and to show people courage because regardless of the outcome, right, it was out of my control. Whether I was going to live or die, I didn't know, and it wasn't really in my control. And so, but how I walked through that journey was in my control and my reactions to the process and to the trauma. And so I watch my kids who are now 22 and 20, and I see that, that they've kind of taken a little bit of that from me um, and that in their reactions, right? And so maybe for them, they pause and, before they react, which is something that I've learned to do. And so I watch them and I see some behaviors in them that I look at and, and think, gosh, you know, I, I need to do that more. I need to do that better. And I think I've had a, some impact on them. Um, but they definitely, they definitely keep me grounded and, and they keep me on my toes for sure. Now on a practical note, because you're on the speaking circuit and you talk a lot about the cancer diagnosis and your recovery, in at least one of your speaking engagements, you had talked about your questionable experience with a medical doctor. So how could people going through the similar experience put more emphasis on the quality of medical care that they're receiving and they're not blindly giving credence to a doctor? doctor because they went to a certain university or a certain medical school or they have certain titles. You're right. That's it. And that, that happened, it literally happened to me. Um, uh, my, I have a fused arm. And part of the reason why I have a fused arm is because I had um, an elite doctor bully me very badly. And ultimately, I had an infection in my arm that was misdiagnosed for several months until it was beyond repair. And my biggest fault in that was trusting a man that went to a high degree, you know, uh, university and, and trusting in a degree, right? We're supposed to, I, I feel like we're taught as, you know, children, like respect authority, respect their voice, respect doctors. And, 
it's not that I wasn't respecting the doctor by challenging him, but I didn't have a strong enough voice to challenge him. I didn't have a strong enough self-esteem to challenge him. And so when he told me that the pain and swelling was in my head, I believed him and I trusted him. And, you know, ultimately that cost me a lot. Like I'm in constant pain. I don't have a wrist anymore. Um, and I think that that's another reason why I like to talk about it because I would never go into a doctor's appointment now after living through that and not question his authority and not in a, in a condescending way, but just, you know, have multiple, more than one opinion because doctors are not gods and they do make mistakes. Um, but I think it's, we are, we are responsible to an extent, right? Like I didn't go to medical school. I didn't have a medical degree. Ultimately we have, have to have some faith in that process, right? But they don't have the ultimate say. And so by me trusting him, you know, partly because I believed in the medical field and I also believed in, you know, he, the guy went to Stanford. I thought, wow, he's not going to make a mistake. That was on me. He made a huge mistake. So I think, the, I think the lesson is you have to get more than one opinion. And I think the lesson is you have to stand up for yourself. But again, it goes back to self-esteem. If you don't have a high self-esteem, you're not going to stand up for yourself. And I think that's where it got twisted for me. One of the powerful anecdotes that I remember is you sharing that you had a couple of surgeries on your arm and you had this affinity for buying and collecting bags that you had reached a point where you couldn't even hold a bag that you desired. Yes. Yes. That was my, that was my pre-cancer days was uh, trying to fill up my void, my loneliness inside with external things like bags and clothes and jewelry and, and things. I think, um, I think some people, they try to fill themselves up with, um, money, resources, uh, alcohol, drugs. I mean, a lot of people, you know, choose things when they feel bad about themselves or are lonely or confused. They, they use other things to fill themselves up. It doesn't work. In my life, it never worked. And so ultimately, when my arm was fused, all those pretty bags that I was kind of coveting, I couldn't even carry anymore, which was like, so ironic. <laughs> and in such a, like a beautiful picture of in my brain, like, okay, well, this is a real, this is a great lesson. Now these, you know, beautiful, expensive things that I thought were so valuable now have no value in my life. And what do I replace that with? Well, what I replaced it with was serving other people. That became the joy in my life. And the other thing that's so important is, you know, we have the capability of feeling great joy in our lives and, and also great happiness. But in my life, I have always felt good, wonderful happiness, but never really joy until I started to serve. And joy is a different, it's a different emotion. And now I live such a joyful life, you know, in constant pain and scarred up, but it's because of the act of serving that gives me joy. It's different than happiness. So for women that may be undergoing different illnesses at the moment and they're in a questionable headspace, what advice do you have for them to start uplifting themselves while the right people come into their path? I think right now we have so many great resources online and on social media. Um, and I don't think in 2011 when I was going through this that we had as much. So if I were going through something now, I would immediately go and Google motivational videos, faith-filled videos, podcasts on, you know, suffering and cancer and, and um, motivating women and empowering women and, 
And just going through videos and watching videos, I still do that today. In fact, I do it a lot. I listen to powerful spiritual podcasts. I listen to powerful women who have you know, YouTube channels who spit out incredible information on how to nurture your self-esteem. And I watch those because although I teach that to people, I'm constantly learning it myself. And so I think anybody who's going through an illness and feeling confused and lonely and, you know, uh, questioning themselves and their value, I think that's a really good place to start. Find powerful women online that you can watch. There's so much free content out there. You don't have to go to a seminar anymore. Out of all of the speeches that you've delivered to date, is there anyone that stands out that was very difficult to deliver because of the emotional experience? Um, I think that, okay, so I speak in prisons and I speak to um, people that maybe we don't look the same and we don't have maybe the same experiences. And so in the beginning, speaking to that group of men, because I've always only spoken in, in uh, male prisons, speaking to that group of men and, and hundreds of them, I think it was hard for them to understand why I was speaking to them. And so I think I had to try a lot harder to say, here, you know, we're, we all bleed the same color, and this is why I'm here, because we all, although we went through different things and all we, we were raised differently and we have different circumstances, we all want one thing, right? We want to be loved. We want to be healthy. We want to be happy. We want to, you know, ultimately serve other people because that brings us joy. How do we get there? And so the message in the prison systems for, that, I, that I have taught, which I haven't done in recently because of the COVID, but that I taught is, you know, we can all be prisoners. It doesn't matter if you're a prisoner inside a prison or a prisoner inside your own home. You know, being a prisoner isn't just behind bars. And, you know, how do we get out of that imprisonment? It's, sometimes it's self-induced. And so I talk a lot about, again, self-esteem and self-worth within those prisons because those guys, they need that. They need to know how to build themselves back up because our world will tear them down and judge them. And, and so I try to teach them, you know, it's got to come from within. You know, the light has to come from within, and you have to nurture your own self-esteem and your self-worth because, man, this world will tear you down. And so I've had great success in prisons, but I think in the beginning it was really hard um, to kind of get to the right material to teach them. And Christine, because you're living on borrowed time, are there any new activities that you've taken on following all of these experiences that have brought joy uh, into your life? Yeah, I, ha- I have. Well, I became a writer. <laughs> that was a big one. And um, I, you know how so many people say, oh, I want to write a book. Well, I, I wrote the book. And that was a big accomplishment for me. Now I'm at Harvard. I'm going to get, I'm getting my master's degree. I have been for two years in creative writing and literature. Um, I have many published articles out there. I've written a second book. And like from a physical standpoint, I now row, uh, which is difficult with my arm, but I figured out a way to, you know, technically do it. And I, I live on the beach now and I used to live in the middle of the country. And so I've made some physical location changes and just because I want to live a different life and I want to wake up each day to sunshine. And yes, I've made some pretty profound changes in my life because I do know the value of each and every day. How wonderful. And is there any project coming out, let's say in the next six to 12 months that you should keep an eye out on? Well, my book is becoming a film and it's called Willow the Feature Film. And it is, um, it was supposed to start filming last May, but of course COVID has salted the production 
Um, but it, I, you know, I believe it'll start this summer. So that should be coming out in probably 12 months. So I would look for that. And I, I do need to publish my second book. I haven't published it yet because I was waiting for the film to come out, but I think I'm going to probably publish it before uh, the film just because the film has been, you know, delayed. But you can find my book really anywhere online and it's called Walk Beside Me by Christine Handy. And, and reach out to me. I'm on most social platforms. And um, I do, I love when people reach out. I love answering questions. I love sharing my story. So I'm very accessible. Are we allowed to ask the title of the second book? Well, you can. I, I've changed it several times, um, but I think it's going to be Prowress. Think. Okay, we will keep an eye out on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely, I'll definitely let you know. And I know that you make the circuit, so the news will come our way. I do want audiences to know to reach Christine Handy at christinehandy.com. And if Christine has any final message for the audience, you're welcome to share. I really am such a big believer in tomorrow is promised to no one. So just live your best life today, whatever that means for you. But in that day, in your daily walk, it's critical to serve other people and help other people, show people compassion, because ultimately it comes back to your nurturing your own self-esteem because it feels so powerful and so good. So I encourage everybody to do that every single day. Christine, I appreciate you joining us, and I do, I'm very grateful for you sharing your wisdom, because every time we cross paths, I believe you share a new part of yourself with audiences, so thank you very much for that. Well, thank you for putting it out into the world, because you're doing so much good by sharing people's stories. Thank you very much.